Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So sit back and relax, or you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. In my freshman year of college, I met and started dating a guy at NYU. And after we moved in together, I'll never forget one evening we were sitting and listening to some music and Vogue came on, was my jam. And in the middle of never going to get it, you get this breakdown happening. Now it's time for a breakdown. Never gonna get it, 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 never gonna get it. Whoa, 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 whoa. My boyfriend Jack turned to me and was like, what the fuck just happened? And I said, what do you mean what the fuck just happened? It's a song. And he's like, yeah, but suddenly they went from sounding all like en vogue to sounding super extra black. And I was like, well, they are black, so I don't know why you should be surprised by that. And he's like, you know what I mean. And I knew what he meant, but I was giving him a hard time because while he does have a Latinx heritage, she does pass for a white guy. So I constantly gave him that shit. Here's the thing. It was hilarious to him that they went from the cool, smooth gems of En Vogue to, you know, sister girl, Capanon brother for uh, being a possessive douchebag. Right, right. So here's what's hilarious to me. I hadn't even considered it or thought about it. And I'm not someone who is much of a code switcher. And keeping in mind also, this was the, what, late 80s. And so my whole perception was turned on the fact that I don't necessarily code switch and didn't necessarily feel the need to. This was before code switching was common parlance. It was just something we knew how to do, right? I grew up in New York City, but my accent would not necessarily peg me as a New Yorker. And therefore, I do code switch. What's interesting is my code switch is less to try to sound more like a stereotypical African-American or to use EV or any of those things. It's more that if I go in to order, you know, something to drink at a bodega, I'm going to ask for a cup of coffee and a bagel. I'm not going to want to sound like a fucking tourist over here. So that's where I go to, which is hilarious to friends of mine who know me. They're like, what? And back before I got sober, I used to actually slip into a British accent when I got drunk, but that's something entirely different. So code switching and adjusting who we are to our environment is not a sin in and of itself. I believe that it is something that we do in order to fit in. It's a very human fucking quality. Okay. What is not a human fucking quality is some shit I just read this week in the New York times. And I'm taking a deep breath here because I'm fitting a rant, but so brace yourselves. Okay. So this article comes up the New York times and the title is, do you hide your true self while dating? 
And I'm thinking, oh, okay. As someone who has worked for years, I, I, I spent a stint working for Penthouse, basically as a site editor for a bunch of their friend finder websites, specifically adult friend finder, alt.com, bondage.com. So I was the go-to guru for these dating websites for a few years. And so I have quite a bit of experience in the online dating world. Uh, I should probably do an episode on how to successfully date online. But anyway, so I'm thinking this is an online dating kind of thing, like, oh, catfishing, all this sort of thing. Then I get to the subheading and it says, and I quote, when dating interracially, some black people say that code switching, a common practice of adapting the way they look, speak, or act in different social settings comes as second nature. Okay. I'm still here for it. And then you have a lovely picture of African-American woman with short natural hair and a beardy white hipster with a man bun smiling at each other. Here we go. Remy Barnwell. This is the heading on the photo, y'all. Remy Barnwell struggled with being her authentic self when she first started dating her boyfriend, Ben Podnar, in 2020. She concealed her afro for six months before sharing her natural hair texture with Mr. Podnar. Uh, Sarah Beth Maney from the New York Times took that photo. Okay, here's here, here's my first thing. I was like, wait, she concealed her afro? Like she hid it from him deliberately, not just like, oh, I happen to have a weave in whatever else. I'm going to put the full text for the article here beneath in the show notes, because I know that sometimes things get paywalled and I want everyone to be on the same page with this. It says here, the opening piece, last September when Remy Barnwell, 26, started dating Penn Bodnar, Ben Podnar, sorry, Ben, who is white. She was hesitant to wear her hair in its natural state. As a black woman, she was uncertain of how he would respond to her tightly coiled strands. What the fuck? Okay, here's my question. Why are you going to hide your shit if you're concerned? Get that on the table ASAP. This is across the board dating advice. If you have some shit in your closet if you are crazy, if you're an alcoholic, if you are OCD, whatever the hell your, your shit is, I always tell people, put that out there immediately. Don't wait. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting to develop an attachment before? Are you trying to get your heart broke? What the fuck is you doing? Like in, in first and foremost, whether or not you have issues with your hair, I'm releasing the sister of this. This is not her fucking fault. We're raised in a society where we are told from the time our hair grows in that it's not okay. It's not professional. It's too nappy. I've had people grab and touch my hair my entire life. And actually when I was in school, when I was in elementary school, I used to come home with my Afro looking all tore up on the floor up. My mom used to put extra Afro sheen in there so that these little white kids would get their fingers greasy, freak out, wonder why the hell their hands were so greasy. And I'm like, well, don't touch it then. I have to put grease in my hair. I don't know what the hell y'all are doing. But the reality is, this is my hair. Don't mess with it. So this sort of like booby trap thing, I mean, taking a page from the tar baby, right? But sort of <laughs> sort of the alternative to that fairy tale of having a sticky baby in order to trap people. Mine was a greasy Afro in order to get people the fuck out of it. So I'm aware that it is difficult to have natural hair in America. I get it. But my thing is, if you are looking to form a relationship with someone, any relationship, even if it's a friendship, a casual friendship, you need to know up front that this person has your back, whether or not they're going to be a ride or die homie, or they're going to trip out because you show up to their house with your head nappy. Is this the person you want to engage with in your life? I don't fucking think so. So, okay, let's go back to this article. This is a quote from Mr. Podnar, who is 29. 
I definitely noticed the first time she took her braids out, and I remember her being very concerned about how I would feel, said Mr. Podnar, an audience development director for the Center for American Progress in Washington. He goes on to say, I know a lot of people in her life have criticized her tight coils, so it's been especially nice getting to see her feel that attraction for me, no matter how she wears her hair, added Mr. Podnar, who said he likes all the different ways Ms. Barnwell styles her hair. And yes, this is just about the only correct response you could possibly have. Here's the thing. Some people do go as far as to actually fetishize our hair and our skin and our appearance and our language. And for some people that is off-putting, grotesque, inappropriate. And for others, it's fine. My thing is this, as long as your shit is consensual, I do not give one flying, leaping, gold-plated, platinum-encrusted fuck. Do what the hell you want. If what you want is someone to worship your thick lips and thighs and your big bubbly booty because it's black, great. Consent is the core here. Consent for people worshiping you or <laughs> however you want. That's 100% great. Ms. Barnwell also states in this article that, and I quote, this is the sister we're talking about here, quote, I also wore my Birkenstocks to my first date with Ben, which I'd never wear on a first date with a non-white man, Ms. Barnwell said. <sighs> Y'all, we all are multifaceted creatures. We all have so much going on. It's unbelievable. We are not the same person day to day, moment to moment. Shit, my shit looks different from sunrise to sunset. Me, when I first get up in the first two hours of the morning, you would not recognize from me at 1 a.m. when I'm ready, willing, and able to fuck up everything from top to bottom, left to right. However, I strongly believe that altering your behavior in order specifically to please a person because of fear or because you believe that they are not ready or because you are catering to their specific perceived needs, wants, and desires, that to me is real scary because what you're setting up is a precedent for putting yourself and putting who you are or whatever aspect of yourself you're choosing to share behind this person's imagined desires. Because here's the thing, she didn't even know. She had not dated this guy, y'all. This is the beginning of a relationship where things are set. It's a lot more difficult to shift your path once you've been in a relationship for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, hell, even a couple of years, right? And the article goes on to talk about another example, a man who is black talking about asking for directions and code switching there and his white boyfriend being like, what the heck just happened? I want to quote here from Mr. Lamore, which is a fantastic name. Mr. Lamore, who said he mostly dates white men, later realized he code switches in other ways when meeting someone who isn't black for the first time. Quote, when I'm going on a first date, I consciously put on clothes that make me appear to be a Don Lemon type instead of a 50 cent type, even though I have both types of clothing, he said. Wow. Okay. Uh, first of all, who the fuck wants to date a Don Lemon type? I do not know. I don't. <laughs> I'm just not sure about that. The 50 cent type, maybe the brother's songs about pimping or not at the core of how he feels about sisters, but you know, I'm going to put a yellow light on that one. Here's my fucking point. Again, this person is saying that they have within them all of these aspects. And that is beautiful. He can veer between the button down uptight, tight ass corporate type to the more laid back hip hop guy. But here's my point with that. 
He's specifically selecting the one that he thinks is going to be more respectable. He's utilizing his respectability politics in his dating life. And that's where I go, whoa, hold up. Here's my first question. What if the person you're going on a date with is entirely turned off by quote unquote Don Lemon types and would prefer not an uptight leaning to the right kind of looking brother? Now you've just blown that. And now you've got to explain why you severely shifted your outlook and attitude in order to try to catch this person. It's an artifice. It's not necessarily just showing different aspects of who you are when you deliberately go and undermine yourself in that way. It just makes me fucking, God, it just makes me, ooh, it just makes me freaking nuts. So there's more of this and there's more examples in this article. And I want to really underscore the fact that code switching in and of itself is organic to how we live. I code switch in dealing with my mom. I swear like a motherfucker. I tend to tone it down. I, for years, didn't swear in front of my mom at all. And that's probably a remnant of the one time that she grounded me for using the word ass. Now, here's the thing. Have my mother grounded me because what I said was, oh my gosh, Sean Cassidy has the cutest ass. Because that is in poor taste. I would have been fine with that, but it was the use of the word ass that outraged her. And I was grounded for that. I think I was probably nine years old. Sure. I code switch with my mom. I dropped all, and I went through a considerable number of decades, eliminating profanity from my vocabulary. Then I turned 50 and I was like, fuck this. If my mom can't handle me swearing, then we're just, she's just going to have to get off the phone with me. So I released it. And now she actually does not blink or freak out. If I drop an F-bomb. I just utilize my profanity with, with tact and appropriately around my mom. So that's fine. We all code switch for the most part going from work with children. There's all sorts of modifications to behaviors we make in order to be appropriate in different situations, but appropriate in different situations is not erasing aspects of who you are in order to try to please or snare a white partner. What the fuck are you doing? And here's the thing. Once you have presented yourself in that way and you go and you start to reveal the, the, the fullness of who you are. Is that going to be confusing? Is that now falling into the realm of deception? Some folks might think so, some might not. But now you have another issue to cope with. Instead of just saying, here is who I am and trying to present as much of that upfront as possible. This is one of the lessons I think non-kinky people can take from perverts. Because we kinky folks, when we are getting involved in a relationship, we have like checklists and negotiation lists. And we have done some thinking about who we are in order to eliminate disappointment and frustration going forward into the relationship. If I'm someone who identifies as a bottom, i.e. I enjoy receiving, I enjoy having people do things to me, I enjoy that loss of control versus being a top who is a person who generally takes takes control or ministers these sensations or, or, or anything along those lines, what have you. We need to know that pretty quick. I could meet someone and think, gosh, they're really hot. They're a top. If they think I'm a bottom, they might not like me. So maybe I'll just say I'm a switch, which means I take both roles, right? In order to get close to them. And then I'll reveal I'm actually really just also a top, but I really wanted to date them. That would be seen as sketchy as hell in the community. It would be seen as deceptive because you are not being honest about who you are and honest about what role you might or might not be able to fulfill in that person's life. Wouldn't you want to know that the person that you are going out on a date with is potentially racist or possessed of racist ideas? 
rather than waiting until you are knee deep in attraction to figure that out? Wouldn't you rather have that information up front? I for real don't understand folks who hope that maybe they would gather the attention and attraction of another person and then switch over. That happened to me years ago. I met a guy, this was in the kink, leather, and BDSM communities, who I just thought was hot as hell and um, started flirting with him. And I kind of thought that he was maybe someone who might not be interested in me. And then he was, and we had a series of amazing chats and his ideas about dominance and submission were so much in line with mine. And I was just really engaged. And so we had a bunch of sort of virtual dates, hung out as friends for a bit, and then went on a date. And it was just amazing. He wanted to go shopping. We went shoe shopping because he really was into boots. And I was like, oh my God, boots. And then we went out for dinner and had these like really long, intense conversational flows and just did this very serious, like moments of silence where we were just kind of looking at each other and just appreciating being in each other's presence. And I was like, this is amazing. All of these months of getting to know him have been totally worth it. And I'm already thinking about maybe having a conversation about negotiating a short-term contract and maybe doing some dominance and submission things. And then a couple more dates went by before he happened to sit me down to mention that he was really very poly and already had a primary partner. So the most I could be, and of course he really wanted this was secondary partner, but that would be okay because he and his primary partner don't do DS stuff. My heart was broken because I had revealed up front that I was really very monogamous and looking for a partner. Now, do I have the capacity to be non-monogamous? I do. I do. But that's in particular situations. And this situation where someone already had a primary partner was goddamn fucking well, not one of them. And it was devastating to me, devastating. And his point was that he told me later is that he had hoped that the connection that he felt, which was really profound, would get us past this idea of my being monogamous, right? Because clearly it's just a minor aspect of who I am and and not important. And of course I'll override that if I'm in love with someone enough or attracted enough to someone, which is incredible bullshit because at the core, you know what fucking happens? Resentment builds up and eventually the relationship falls apart. And I guarantee you that if you meet someone for whom you're nappy hair or the fact that you code switch or the fact that you happen to like hip hop and they just think that hip hop is atrocious and, and obnoxious is going to wear thin on you sooner or later. I promise who you are is not some tool to be tossed around to lure someone with. And it should absolutely never, ever be something that drives someone away into your relationship. Um, once you're into your relationship, right? What the fuck is that? Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to other people. And for God's sake, I'm not saying you have to be loud and completely proud about who you are all the time because life is complicated, but you sure as hell need to know that who you are is absolutely beautiful and absolutely wonderful. And whoever doesn't not just accept it because acceptance is nice, but celebrate it, but say, God, your hair is beautiful. It's not my hair and it's beautiful, not, but it's beautiful because the, but is a caveat. The, but is a, is an excuse for the previous thing. It has to be an enthusiastic. Yes. 
Get me? I'm fucking serious on this, y'all. To address the folks who are going to come back and say, well, but Mo, you do all kinds of stuff. That means that maybe you yourself don't appreciate your own blackness. For those who are following along at home or are just getting to know me, a lot of what I do in King and BDSM plays with the awareness of racism and race and how it impacts my life as a kink person, as a person involved in leather, as a person involved in an alternate lifestyle. The reality is that, yes, I have done play that specifically invokes ugly racial history. My reasons for that, and this is an entire fucking episode, so I'm not going to go deep into it, but racism is real. I live in a black body. I live in a body that subjects me to criticism and violence outside of and on top of the quote unquote normal standard that one might experience in American society. To ignore that is to live in a fallacious bullshit lifestyle, right? So I embrace it. Part of what I have done in my explorations of BDSM is to look at scenes that specifically invoke real racist shit. I did a scene, for example, where my play partner and I pretended to do a job interview that went horribly awry, where the white man who was interviewing me started saying some racist shit. And the whole fantasy about what that looks like and what happens afterwards, this is the reality of kink and BDSM. We are doing a psychosexual reenactment or enactment of a fantasy. And the beautiful thing about that scene as it went down was that I was able at the end to say, stop, you motherfucker, which in real life is not something we often get to do. We don't get to call red. We don't get to safe word on that racist person saying some shit to us. We don't get to have the response of, I respect you and I love you and I care about you from our abusers. And that's what BDSM enables me to do. It enables me to flip the script. It enables me to be victorious. It enables me to code switch and be who I really am or not. I have this incredible freedom. And that's one of the things that has drawn me the most deeply into kink, into BDSM, into everything that I love about alternative sexuality, which is that freedom. I want to underscore another quote from this New York Times article. There's a point where a therapist says, quote, if we're talking about interracial dating, specifically about black women, they might ask, do I feel comfortable with showing myself to this person that maybe has their own preconceived notions about black women? Is there some eroticism or thoughts around what it means to date me as a person, said Camille Lester, a relationship therapist based in New York who is black. Quote, everybody when they're dating puts on some type of mask. And then the longer you're with someone or the closer you allow yourself to get, you take off pieces of that mask, Ms. Barnwell said, adding, it's especially difficult to take off pieces of that mask when you're a black woman because we're already the least appreciated. I want to give you a statistic to understand when you, when she says we're already the least appreciated. When I worked for friend finder, there was another app. I think it was a plenty of fish. There was some fucking app that did a whole series of logistical breakdowns about who gets the most responses and who gets the least responses. I think it was okay. Cupid actually. And okay. Cupid had this unbelievable, like, devastating amount of data that since at the time I was working in the industry, I had to sit and crunch. Hilariously, when you looked at the breakdown in terms of gender, in terms of race, in terms of age and all of that, 
me being an African-American woman living in America had the lowest response rate of any other demographic. Next, right above us were Asian men. Caucasian females between the ages of 18 and, and, and 24, of course, were the highest and most desirable. What was interesting was that it didn't shock or surprise me because I already knew this from my experiences in online dating. I'll never forget sitting with a, two or three other women and who were lamenting the online dating process. They were sitting there going, gosh, every time I put up a profile, I just get like two, 300 responses I have to wade through. And it's just so many of them are just trash. And then maybe out of a hundred, you get one person who's not a complete creeping asshole. And they're looking at me like, oh my gosh, you must get so many responses. And I laughed. I'm like, you guys, you forgot I'm black. If I get three responses in a week, I'm lucky. However, those three responses will definitely be people who I'm interested at least in taking a look at their profile. I don't have any higher a success rate than these other white women do, but I certainly have less chaff to sift through because the chaff weeds itself the fuck out. This is one way you can hold yourself up, sisters. Generally, the chaff weeds itself out with us. Now, what does it say when you look at an entire cross-section of society? This means, hello, that the brothers, African-American men, are still not contacting African-American women online at the same rate that they are contacting Caucasian first, Asian second, Latinx third, other fourth, and then African-American women last, right? So even from the family, we are not getting the love and respect. So I understand dating is hard. It's creepy, but I absolutely need to advocate for everyone, not just for the sisters, but especially for us. Don't hide yourself. Don't mask up. There is not only no benefit to it. It is in fact, emotionally dangerous. You gotta fucking know this motherfucker is going to be ride or die for you or not upfront ASAP. You know why? Cause your goddamn time is too fucking valuable. It is too valuable. You have too much to do to go on six dates with someone who's then going to twig out because you had to grease up your hair. You do not have to fucking sit there and explain why you need 12 hours to get your hair taken down and put back up. You do not need to explain to a motherfucker why it's going to take you an extra 20 minutes to get out of the house because you sure as hell are not going to try to be out there feeling ashy in the world. You do not need to have a partner who is not ready to grease you up from head to foot before you go out and is on ashiness check. So in case you miss that elbow, they have your back, my friends. Do you need that? You do not. You do not need the internal or external ashiness. <laughs> Don't be out here being spiritually ashy, y'all. Be who the hell you are. Flaunt it. Be in it. Live in it. And if it doesn't feel safe, then that's a good indication that you are around people around whom you don't need to be. Now I'm saying that's it. Fucking period. Ooh, Lord have mercy. Have mercy. Y'all look, black women, we're amazing. We are amazing. We are the alpha and omega of kick assery in the places where we exist. We come up through the cracks in the sidewalk. We rain down like sunshine and love and light. 
And when we bend our will in order to please someone else who has not even yet earned that right, we step on ourselves. We keep ourselves down and we hold ourselves back. There are enough motherfuckers out here who are willing to do that. Don't you fucking dare let that shit come from within. You heard me? Dig? I love you. I do. And I'm not even, this is not some bullshit. I love you. I love me some you. And I feel your pain and I feel your frustration. And I also feel your strength. And I also feel your vulnerability. And I also see your tears. And I also see your personal struggle. And know that I'm lifting you up. And you and your nappy head need to go out on that first date wearing whatever the fuck makes you feel the most sexy and the most you and the most beautiful, not Birkenstocks for some man bun beardy motherfucker. Peace. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb, theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. Mm-hmm.